Ding dong. What are you? What are you doing? What is that? And welcome. Wait. To another exciting episode of Movie Victory. That's. Um, what is that? That's a. David Victory. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I got. A, I got a little. You know. A little, oh, that sounds good. Bell music. What was that? Uh, um. ACDC. Back oh. Black. Oh, of course. Hell's Bells. Uh, I think I like yeah. yours better than. I like your oh, intro better than mine. Of, yeah, the first song on Back of Black. Um. Yeah. Should, okay. should we do that again? Like, should can we, we restart? Uh, and you yeah, do. Let's do. Let's do Hell's Bells because that's a better one than I picked. Yeah, thank you, finally. Sure. Right, here we go. Let me, I'm just going to start over. Okay. Here we go. One more time. Welcome to another exciting episode of Movie Victory. Wait, wait, are you playing? <laughs> wait, this stuff. Alright, this Good go. shit. I, I feel like we're definitely gonna get sued for this, knowing just how litigious. No, I think you're, you're allowed to use up to 48 <laughs> seconds of it. <laughs> 48 seconds. I think as long as we're talking through it, it's okay. Oh, yeah. Because we're adding new sounds. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, those bells, baby. I cannot. Oh wait, hold on. You, it's at fifty-two are seconds. You, Shit. Are you are you playing? Were you hmm. just playing Hell's Bells? Did you just interrupt? Yeah, no. I thought we. Hell's... I thought we agreed on playing Hell's Bells for the intro song instead of Carol of the Bells. But I was already playing it. Like I, I oh. just started. I just started playing it. Like why? Then your microphone's messed up. Like maybe it's over Zoom because I actually couldn't hear your side playing it. I thought I was supposed to play it. It's fine. I mean, we never t we never talked about that. All right, all right. It'll be this interesting another, to hear the overlap later. Another another exciting episode of Movie Victory. Um, with you as always, David Victory, always ready to talk about math and science and how it relates to what movies you should be watching. And um, with me as always is our guest host today, Huey JPEG. Wiki Wawa, Huey Jaundice Peg, here to here to certify your copies. Yeah, the film today is Certified Copy. Um, that is the name of the film. It is. Uh, we're not talking about the legal term Certified Copy today. If you thought no. that we were maybe switching um, switching topics and going into um, different kinds of legal um, terms, we're, we're, that's not what we're doing. That just happens to be the title of the movie. Mm -hmm. Certified Copy, which came out in 2010, um, I think that's when it pre premiered at um, Cannes, right? 2010. Yeah, although I do want to be clear that uh, for legal reasons, that a certified copy is a duplicate of a primary document that is endorsed by a governmental or an independent agency to guarantee its authenticity. Uh, we're not talking about that. Yeah, but thanks for bringing it up and clarifying, mm -hmm. because we could have had some people listen to the show today because they wanted to hear that and so it is good that you know you just made it clear just in case yeah yeah context worried. is is yeah. important sometimes maybe yeah maybe people were interested in just um what a certified copy was i would um, love to hear a podcast about the legal documentation of certified copies but 
that's neither here nor. Yeah, but yeah. Um, if you, that's your thing, then I encourage you to start a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, we're talking about um, this film. This is your pick. Do you want to just start talking about it um, or telling us a little bit about uh, first time you saw it or oh, any, gosh. anything anything specific that you want to bring up? Um, to tell us about your life's context in relation to this movie. Oh, golly, um, Jeepers. We know it matters. Golly. Um, yeah, I could, I could say all that kind of stuff, but my question is, where are you calling from? <laughs> where am I calling yeah, from? Yeah, it looks like uh, you got a beach behind you. Yeah, I'm actually going on a virtual vacation today, and so huh. that's, why I have, that's why I have the beach. And so, yeah, I've been walking around all day, um, just wearing 3D goggles and just hanging nice. out on a vir virtual beach. And, that's um, cool. Yeah, just ignoring my wife and family. You're not here. Mm -hmm. That's what I tell them. That's what I'm VR on is all <laughs> <laughs> I'm on vacation. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the purpose of VR. That's what VR is um, all about. Ignore yeah, your surroundings. Uh, Exactly. I'm like, here's your goggles. You know, you go on a different vacation. You know, you know I guess we could. Sh I guess we could share vacations. I, I, I don't know. We'll, you know, the last time, the last time I did VR. Uh, that sounds like an opening of so like a Hallmark. <laughs> the last time I did VR, was like a year ago. It was probably like September of last year, and I was in the desert in California, and there's like a, this like rich person's pool in the desert. And then they had a VR helmet, and I, like, I had, like, a gun, but I was just, like, painting. It was, like, a painting game, and you could just paint the entire landscape and surroundings any colors you wanted. And it was just, like, the most calming thing ever. But it was bizarre, the VR experience, compared to... Once you take it off, it's very, very peculiar feeling. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, everybody says that like you still get motion sickness, um, some form of it. But I don't know. Some people really love it. Uh, mm -hmm. That it, I guess I guess that's what all the movies tell us. That's the future. Well, Will some, there be full full body suits? I don't know. Well, some people also love hentai. So people like fantasy and not reality. Yeah. So I don't like yeah, those but, people. Yeah, but the technology. I mean, I guess it's gotten gotten better in the past like right. ten years, really. Sure. Um, I mean, to be hey, fair, I'm calling from a, a VR yeah. room. This a room, VR room. This room is actually just a large white cube. Uh, the screens, there are screens uh, for the walls, the floor, and the ceiling. Uh, and they pump air and, and ambient sounds into it. Although I asked them to turn the sounds off so we could record. And uh, so I'm in a time room. I'm outside time. of time right now. That's very exciting. I was gonna ask you, there is a full-size dinosaur behind you, and I Oh, yeah, just, way in the uh, background? Yeah, you can yeah, choose yeah. your settings, yeah. Okay, all right, that's it's very realistic. Thank I, you. I was just like, I mean, I know that dinosaurs aren't real, but at the same time, I thought I might mention it to you. It, it looks that good. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of VR and artifice, Brings me, brings me back to this, this film. This film. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was supposed to answer the question, what is my relationship with this film? Um, right. But you need to tell us that you're calling from outside of time. Yes. Uh, but still in space. Let's be clear. Because I am in a large cube today. Um, certified Copy. A film I really love that has grown on me more and more over the years. 
Kiarostami is a director who is very gentle and enigmatic, who I like very much. Uh, his first film that I saw was Taste of Cherry, which I'd like to do at some point in the podcast, maybe, I don't know, maybe next year. <laughs> and But Certified Copy has always stuck out to me in his body of work because the sort of universal themes. Um, so to do a quick rundown, uh, a man is in Tuscany doing a talk about his book, uh, which is about art and artifice and copies and originals. And a woman comes to meet him and sign his book, and she's very interested. They, on his last day in Tuscany, decide to go on a nice walk and spend the day together. And then at some point along the way, they become married. And if and it becomes incredibly, I don't even want to say ambiguous, but there's a there's a subtle complexity where something fundamentally changes in their dynamic, where they are no longer strangers having a day, but have known each other for years and are estranged spouses. And it's a very peculiar film once it really gets started um, and it has a lot of things to say that's my rundown okay I feel like you're avoiding the question about you know the first time you saw this film and it, it you know makes me oh. suspicious were you um, I'm not sure if I remember middle, uh, you okay you're you're probably doing something illegal at the time well drugs uh, okay probably doing drugs um the first time I saw Certified Copy, gosh, I don't remember. Um, I've probably seen it, I'd say a handful, maybe a half a dozen times now over the years, but I don't think I discovered it until, let's see, you said it came out in 2010? Yeah, 2010. So I would have been, um, been in New York at that time. I was certainly aware of Taste of Cherry, um, but I don't have a particular memory of I must have seen it around that time when it came out in New York, but I don't have a memory of it. I definitely went and saw his final film, Like Someone in Love, in the theater. Because by the time that came out, which I think was 2012, let's see, Kiro Stami. I'm trying to get a release date for the United States, but it was more likely in 2011 for the States. Because I'm. I'm it sounds seeing, about right. Because I, yeah. I feel like I saw. I know for a fact because I can I I do have a, a memory of going to see his last film, the film after this, like someone in love, in 2012 in the theater, and I went and saw it with two different people, one of whom was totally perplexed by it when we came out, and the other uh, who enjoyed it, and I didn't know what to think. Um, but it it has since grown on me. But certified copy, I don't really remember when I saw it, but it was around that time. Uh, but upon rewatching it. Years and years later, it has become a favorite of mine. And it's certainly a film of couples arguing, which is the theme of this season. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, yeah, you're right. It's kind of a, it's a weird thing that happens in the film. Uh, all of a sudden, there's this coffee shop that they're at, and um, the man is outside taking a phone call, and the woman there in the cafe assumes that they're married, and then they start kind of pretending to be married 
and the lines are definitely blurred. Um, yeah, are they pretending really well? Or like, mm -hmm. why are they trying? If they're pretending, why are they deciding to have serious arguments about things? Right. Is it, but, well, uh, be, and and this is it, sort of the, one of the things that Kiarostami does so well in a lot of his other stuff too. Is he sort of toes this line of of the reality of things and and is this happening? But and yet, despite the fact that everything I've given you up to the point this point in the film doesn't register or make sense with what the characters are doing now, I'm still able to evoke uh, whatever emotions out of you, and you're. You know, you're still getting these performances that make you think and feel a certain way, and and I don't know what to call that. It's not quite ambiguity. It's not quite. It's certainly not ambivalence. It's like I don't know what he he like plays in this weird complexity, I, which I don't know if there's even a word for it. Um, but that's kind of his thing. Is like keeping the uncertainty. I think is maybe the be the better word or closer word. Where like he he has a way of like like keeping the audience like in a like a magic trick like in a state of uncertainty and being like ah but you still feel something don't you it's very peculiar. I definitely thought about it in the context of what they were talking about, so I couldn't help but feeling like a lot of it was these conversations about the certified copy and what's the difference and then mm -hmm. them turning into a real life example of it and kind of asking us, the audience, can you tell the difference? And then at the same time, it's like, well, if, if I was watching a movie and you guys were characters that really were married, it still wouldn't be original. So I guess I was, you know, that's, which is that's what, part that's of the layers, you, yeah. which is what you, what you were just talking. And, and I definitely did have that where I was just like, well, these are real things that married couples argue about, and mm -hmm. yeah, they are they are real in that sense. But like, uh, yeah, it was that complex like reaction where it's like if I was you know just feeling for the characters, it would might maybe be more emotional. But in this case, it was more like I don't you know I'm not sure how I feel about it because I'm going right. through the psych cycle of like. It's happening, but it's not happening. But the things they're talking about are real are things real. that happen. <laughs> that happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah. And then there's there's changes in the film too. For instance, throughout the first half, or at least up into the pivotal coffee shop scene, which you mentioned, uh, which what happens is, as you mentioned, guy goes outside to take a phone call. Italian coffee shop woman. They're in Tuscany in the film. Uh, talks to Juliet Binoche and assumes that uh, the man on the phone is her husband. And when the man comes back in, after they have a lovely little conversation about husbandry and stuff, she says, uh, well, what I want to get is Juliet Binoche clearly states he speaks English, I speak French, Italian, and English. And she goes, oh, she, he doesn't even speak your language? So when he comes back in, the lady at the coffee shop starts speaking Italian. He doesn't understand. And then Julia Binoche in English says, she mistook you for my husband, and I played along. I let her think that. As soon as they leave, they begin slowly acting as if they are, in fact, married. These two people who supposedly had just met. And not only that, he suddenly is completely fluent in both Italian and French throughout the rest well, of the film. 
he speaks French in the movie. He and does speak a little Italian to the old man. Yeah. Okay. And if people speak does, to him in Italian, he replies he in English. He says he can speak French, so that's not an inconsistency. He says that he only took French like in high, in like school or something. So he mm -hmm. does say he could speak French. We don't know how well though. Um, I didn't we, catch we the Italian, find out, but though. I believe you because you've seen it more. But she does resist it at first. I guess is my only note on the coffee shop because she does she does try to tell her that we're not married. She she does basically literally say, no, you're mistaken, but she just doesn't understand. And so it's kind of like, well, I guess we should just play along. So I mean, roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was my that was my take. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I did not catch the little bit of Italian, but I, I wouldn't be too surprised because I definitely felt like there, uh, the languages that they talked in seemed to suggest something I don't I don't necessarily know, but the fact that they could speak French Dad. together. Oh, Vivian, what are you up to? Dad. Vivian's dance is is coming downstairs. I see. Are you taking a bath? Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. So I don't know if it's like as simple as the English is the kind of the language for him. So she speaks right. in English to appease him, and then he speaks in French as a way to connect with her. And then mm -hmm. the Italian is something else, like it's a different part of her that he doesn't really know. And maybe right. like when he speaks a little Italian, maybe they're having a better connection or whatever. But right. I guess you could draw some pretty, um, you know, I, I guess not super complex parallels to the languages. But I, I liked them. I feel like I like, I like the mix of languages. It's I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like the Science of Sleep did this too, which I thought was fun. I don't I don't know why why sort of flow in and out of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of it's just kind of fun. I can't I can't really say too much about it. And I guess I just feel like, oh, it's nice everybody gets a little bit of their language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess I Yeah, yeah. I I love that. I was thinking about that when I rewatched it. It was like I love when movies just sort of like meander through the different languages of the characters and and allow that to happen. Um the I mean, one of the peculiar things about the pivotal moment in the coffee shop where she lets this woman think that and begins having a conversation with the, the coffee shop woman as if, you know, she's creating an artifice. She's creating this right. persona in which she is, in fact, married to this guy and then talking about him as if they do have marital issues uh, while this lovely old Italian woman in the coffee shop is trying to reassure her in so many ways. Like, no, no, he is a good husband because this and this. Um, which I love her thing that she says, which is like, it's Sunday morning, and you know what most men do? They sleep in. What has he done? He takes you out for coffee, and he expressively tells you stories with, with great emotion. That's a good husband. And I was I like, know. yeah, that's great. But, the, but there's so many, like, really... With... Hmm. Yeah. No, Go she ahead. followed up with it's as if he's courting you for the first time, which he yes. is doing. Is this so? There, so there was yes. both of those sides. It's like, oh yeah. Well, that's not. Yeah, that would be good if it was, wasn't the first time that they yeah. met. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, a great yeah. example. And see, that's another. A lot of examples that we're going to give of things they say. Uh, you know, like I was about to bring up when Julia Pinochet was talking the language thing. Julia Pinochet was talking to the coffee lady, and she and she says he only speaks his own language. Right. Uh, Which isn't true, and it's so strange that... Well, it's true. It isn't true after that point, but she's already lying to the woman by saying I'm, it's her I husband, so now she's creating this false narrative. I right? don't remember where he, where he says that he that he can speak French. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's after that. She, okay, so yeah, I've got yeah. it here. 
she says, how come you speak English together? No, I know. Yeah, I know that. Like, that's word for word. But I'm yeah. saying he says he's, he speaks French. Yeah, but I know that she's, she does not say that to the woman. Like, I remember that very clearly. Because I wondered. I was like, I thought he could speak French. And then that's confirmed later. Um, and then I, when I, like, read a review of it, it also just said that. It was just like, he says that he can speak French. So, so anyway. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's not a big deal. But um, the thing is, there are many purposeful inconsistencies. There are so many little truths and lies. I mean, it's almost difficult to... To pinpoint which thing is that's the whole point of the film which thing is quote-unquote fake and which thing is real which thing is artifice and which thing is authenticity and so anything that we point to whether it's this pivotal conversation that sort of changes the movies ambiguities or anything that they end up talking about after that or the way they interact after that like how she comes and speaks to him in French and then he replies in English, how he seems to understand the old old man speaking Italian to him. Um, and it's like, all of these peculiarities are completely purposeful. And it's it's to sort of like disarm you in a way to, to just give in to the emotions that the people are feeling, regardless of the fact that the, the actual like structure of how these people, these characters are acting, has become totally absurd. And for me, I think it's he he gives you a way of you can't pinpoint not only what what exactly is happening, but how you feel. And so it's like he just leaves you kind of floating at all times of like, wait a second. And so that and somehow that allows you to absorb like the emotional content of it. It's very difficult to describe because it's a very like I said, there's so many like weird nuances that are happening anytime you try to pin something down you're like but wait there's also this thing that's happening and so that's one of the things i like about it is just it it leaves you kind of kind of in the air any anything you try to you know we talked about eyes wide shut if you try to look into any other particulars there's just more questions this does a similar thing but in a totally different way yeah, I think Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, I think both of these movies um, have, or both of the movies have clear writing. But I, but I agree with you on the complexities um, that they are suggesting and kind of encouraging you to think about. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like that where it's just kind of like, yeah, you don't, you don't really know. And I'm sure the more times you see it, like things hit you a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely, on this first viewing, I thought a lot about that conversation um, that he had about watching the woman um, that was walking away from her child, and mm -hmm. then it's kind of revealed it's that, her. That, that was her, and she's just like, I was going through a lot or whatever. We don't really get the full story. Um, but That's one I, of my favorite reactions in the movie, is like she so, slowly starts crying as he's telling right. the story of... of him watching the movie being the inspiration for this book, she clearly knows the entire time he's telling it that it's her. And then she says, I wasn't well in those days. And then it's like, like the whole movie just explodes open all of a sudden. But yeah. I kept on thinking in that scene, I was like, how is it not clear to you? I'm just like, okay, it was how long ago do they say? I'm like, 15 but I'm, years. But I'm every, like, every time they cut to him, he's not quite looking at her. 
is the thing. Okay. But I, I guess for me, like how he couldn't register that the story was bothering her was like one of the things that is interesting um, because it is a realistic thing. It doesn't like make sense for most movies to have something like that, but it is a realistic thing. Um, but like at the same at the same time, you know, it could just come off as like, oh, you're not responding to the person in front of you. But he's not like an insensitive person, so there, it is those like layers of things. And I did read that he this is the first movie that he's acted in, and I'm like, okay, well, I was impressed that this was your yeah, first same. Movie. When I found yeah. out this guy, it's like his only film, and he's just an opera singer. I was like, wow, that guy right. is a natural. But then, <laughs> but then I did think about like his performance was kind of like you know, it was measured in a way of, mm. like, kind of trying to give people, give her what she wanted, but, like, when he didn't understand, he just kind of pulled back, and I was just like, that is kind of, like, if you're a performer, you're it's typical. Smart. Yeah, I was just like, this really, I'm sure um, when the director met this guy, he was like, okay, this guy, you know, he gets it, this is what, this yeah. is what I want for this film. Well, did you watch um, any of the supplements on Criterion Channel? I did not. Did not I would, have time. I would only recommend. There's like a little 15 minute interview with Kiarostami, and he okay. talks about sort of that casting process, and they didn't know how they were going, who they were going to use for the man, right? And I, I agree. It's a very, um, on his part, it's a very smart performance. It's very smartly done, uh, and I wonder how much of it is himself. But one of the things that he says that's so interesting uh, is. He told this story to Juliette Binoche just over dinner of like he saw these this couple arguing 15 years ago and Juliette went that would make a great film. And so she, it was actually her idea. He was just te retelling an anecdote and she was like that's a good film. And then some years later, Kiarostami reached back after her and was like remember when you told me that over dinner? I have the script now. Uh and then during filming uh Apparently, Juliette Binoche kept being like, I'm not quite sure who is this character. Where is she? How do I... Is she crazy? Is she... How do I... Where... What am I bringing... Who, who am I bringing to this? How do I do this? And he, and the only thing Karastami would tell her is, it's Juliette Binoche. The, it's literally Juliette Binoche. You are playing yourself. Just say the lines as if you would. And so he refused to give her any direction towards the character and just kept saying, it's you. You're the one that provoked me to, to turn this idea into a film. You're the person I thought of when I wrote it. You are this movie. And then they just found that, eventually he found this opera singer, who I guess could have interesting conversations with him, and he was like, you know what? I think you're the husband. Uh, so that's, that's the, the little bit of context that I know about that, uh, which I think is just such a funny... His way of directing is, seems very hands-off. Uh, I love I love that. I also love that the Wikipedia article I read is a little different in in, in the in retelling that part. It it basically suggests that he lied to Julia Binoche and told her that he did have a movie and then told her the story and then he's like, okay, this could be a movie, but he was like lying to her. So I you know, whatever. I'm I'm not gonna. You know, oh, you I have not read the, that version. You, 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 watched. you just, you just watch. I guess just this version I just thought was funny because I was like, oh, then the whole, the whole thing is kind of like a fake because it was like her, you know, is, is her idea and he does it and it started with the lie like the movie does with the marriage. I guess I just oh. love that. I, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's it, who knows he's, if it's he's true, still playing with thought, it. 
but I just thought that was like funny, and I'm, and yeah, maybe he he's just spreading that story, and he's just telling right. people that. No, yeah. I wonder. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. If it's just as he a seems way, like but. that kind of guy. He's that playful. Where if they did, you know, Criterion does an interview with him for the movie when it comes out, and so they do this little fifteen minute interview, and and he plays again with the reality of things. I can totally see him doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the very movie sly. Does, it's sly. It, it is. It's it's a very it's a very clever movie, but um, at the at the same time, it's it's a light film. Most of the film is light. Like it's so. I, I I guess I just want to qualify that it does talk about some heavy topics, but there's playfulness in it, and the way it opens is it it kind of sets it up. It's like this movie is actually a lecture. Like that's what I got <laughs> from the opening. Was like, all right. So I know you thought you turned on a movie, but you're actually just going to be watching a lecture about this idea, certified uh-huh. copy. You know, and I was like, okay, I was like, I love. But then that it becomes this framing. intimate portrait of marriage. But that's that's the lecture about. I know, you know I know. So, yeah, 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 you know. yeah, about certified. But copy. the thing is, uh, you can pinpoint that anywhere. You can you can say it's the lecture. You can double back and say, no, no, no. This is actually about how women view men. This is about how men view women. And so you can you can take any given piece of the film oh, and I'm say just, oh it's about that too you know i i agree I, my comment is more about the tone of the film it, it comes mm-hmm. from it from that way so i was definitely looking at it more intellectually and less emotionally when i was like watching them talk about concepts and then kind of try to pull in real life examples whether she's making arguments with them about things um all right but maybe we should get into some of our our takes on the best uh, realistic uh, relationship arguments, since I guess this is... Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. And before I forget, I also want to... I also... Because you are, in fact, the married person uh, in, in here, in this dynamic, I'm very curious about some of your views. Of, like, I've had some long-term relationships and, and known people very well, so I, could, I can relate to movie, the movie in that sense. But I've never actually been married. But these people in the movie might not have ever actually been married. And yet you start, by the end of it, you start to believe absolutely. You know, okay, before I answer your question, I want to bring this up. One thing, after I'd seen this a couple times, and now every time I watch it, I have a personal theory about this film. Which allows it all to happen as if it's all really happening. Which is, what if this couple did get married? that is his kid because one thing you notice upon a rewatch is at the beginning when her kid is on her phone kind of being a sarcastic to her he says who was that guy oh yeah what's his last name what's his last name and the kid presses him as if the kid knows like haha that's my dad and you're not telling me and so in the second rewatch you're like whoa but one thing that I think about all the time when I watch this is what if they were in fact married given the context of the film, about 15 years ago. Uh, For whatever reason, they're fairly estranged. I mean, she says several times, you didn't call your son on his birthday, you didn't, uh, you never come and check in on him, you know, I've been left to raise him while you're over in Britain, all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of blame on her part of him being absent, right? And so what if they are, in fact, married? And yet they've agreed upon this sort of dynamic, which is, listen, when we're in the same town, just to keep the peace, let's pretend like we just met. Every time we meet, let's pretend like we just met. Let's just act that out and then maybe we won't fight. 
So this is my personal theory, is that they are in fact married, and yet they have this secret agreement to, to try to relive why they loved each other every time that they, they reconvene. That's my personal theory. I'm not saying that's actually in the movie. That's what I project onto it when I see it. This, this weird narrative is like, what if they are? And they just, this is kind of how they, they work. This is how they get along. So I want to throw that out there as a fun fan theory. Um, I, I think, I feel like that kind of discredits the movie with, like, you were just so connected to the realism of the arguments. You're just like, yeah, they have to be real. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I know. This. But that's the thing. It, it, it forces me to yeah. spin off in my own head and go, you know what I think? I think they are married. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, which it doesn't matter. The whole point is that, like you said, uh, Karasami's playing with this idea of like, wait, are they married or are they not? But it's a movie. You know they're so, actors. So, you know it's right. artifice at the core anyway. You know, as soon as you hit play, you know it's not real. And so he's playing with that. And yet, I desperately want to believe that, in fact, these obviously fictional characters who we do or do not know if they're married, I want to believe they are. You and I've invented a in fiction in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've invented a fiction in my head where they have a secret pact which does not take place in the film. And that's how I just, that's how I rationalize my enjoyment of the whole thing, right? Um, but it, but Karastami is still sort of smirking and he's saying, that's absurd, you know? So yeah, that's what I love about it is there is that, this like very like gentle playfulness. It's super sly. But it's not trying to trick you. It's trying to say, ah, but, you know? It's like it's like getting a, like you said, the lecture thing. It's like getting a kid to try to think, but in like kind of a fun way. It's like, oh, are you, are you sure? Are you sure about that? You know, and so he's always kind of doing that, which I love. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. It's, it, is, it is fun and it is something where you kind of like, and you don't really feel like it's telling you anything super like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could say that this person's actually suggesting that they're the same, but he's suggesting that you should think about it, you know? Yeah. And that it's hard to know. And if you don't know, does that change whether it's original or certified, you know, certified original? Or, does or that change your appreciation of it, your enjoyment? Something that comes up right. a lot, right? Right. And is, is your enjoyment somehow less than because you're appreciating the work of art in a way that it's not supposed to be appreciated? Um, right. Because, because you somehow have been tricked. And uh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. the whole thing where it's just like, well, how is that bad? You know, if you go right. see you go see a st the statue of David and you don't know it's the statue of David and you're blown away I mean who loses there <laughs> I mean I mean maybe later you like get older and you're like I can't believe you told me the statue of David was here and it's not I can't believe you I'm everyone can't believe this was made thousands of years later yeah well like you yeah, said yeah. that was the that was the genesis for the book in the film is he saw this yeah. kid look up at the statue in total right. awe and think it was so beautiful uh, but it's actually a meticulous recreation of the original statue, right? And same, the, a similar, a mirror thing happens again when they're talking about the statue with the old Italian couple. The statue right. of the woman laying her head on the man's shoulder, which is talked about at length. So I don't know if we want to get into that. Um, yeah. But I will say I love what the old, I love what the old Italian man says to him in Italian, which is all she really wants is for you to place your hand 
on her shoulder and walk with her. That's it. That simple gesture. And to me, that I, I love that moment so much. Just this like little bit of wisdom, but not the wisdom you were expecting, of like, oh, the battle of the sexes. No. She just wants to know you're there, and just reassure her with this simplest gesture, which is, you know, your hand on the small of her back, or whatever it is, you know, to make her feel comforted. Which is also mirroring the reassurance that she sees in the statue of the woman laying her head on the man's shoulder, right? It's similar. It's all... There's some... Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I do like... I guess I'll, I'll go back to the, the kid scene at the beginning because it is... He knows her so well. And so when he's like, tell me his last name, I don't know if I thought, is this her father or not? But yeah, you, with last name, that's a strong um, contender for sure. But it almost seemed like he's checking up on her and she doesn't want to give him any information because he she knows that he's going to use it against her so mm -hmm. like she has a pattern of like falling for guys and or and she's like married to someone else in the movie at the beginning or so it's un, it's unclear, it's unclear. There's a guy, the guy there's a guy that calls her now's not a good time i can't talk and so it's you're just like what is going on and then um yeah mm -hmm. Uh, so well, the last name thing actually comes up again with the Italian couple at the statue. James, James what? And then he kind of, there's like an elliptical and he, he doesn't actually say it, his last name. Mm. So it's a recurring thing. And we don't get her name at all, so, you know. No. Is, well, she's, yeah. Juli she's just Julia Pinoche. Right. right. That's it. It doesn't say that. It doesn't I, call her I, Juliet in the movie. Um, yeah, um, but it, interesting. I like that complexity. For me, as I was watching it, I was just thinking, oh, this is setting up for the kind, like, she just falls for, but that's also a kind of artifice. Like, somebody mm -hmm. that just kind of gets fixated on someone and then it's like, all right, I'm just going to go, and I'm already kind of in love with them in my mind, and, like, and it's kind of, so I was kind of mm -hmm. thinking, like, she's a academia like groupy, like that's the kind right. of guy. That that's what it's kind of leading you up to. That she does this a lot. Like she gets fixated yeah. on these kind of successful. Older and she men. moves from like <laughs> infatuation to infatuation, and they're sort of interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it definitely suggests that because it's like the way that she like is in awe of him like when she first sees him and then the whole thing with the books and then she doesn't like what he wrote to her sister and there's like uh -huh. all she's, this kind of weirdness that she's portraying well this happens that. this happens with people where they 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 immediately ideal idealize someone you know especially a, a lover a potential lover and by idealizing you it just puts you on a completely ridiculous and unfair pedestal where anything you do is then subject to criticism or disappointment and so there are people that do that I mean I think there's um, not to get too psychological or anything but the term borderline personality disorder this is sort of what one of those symptoms of what people do is like people are either absolute savior or they're my enemy like it's very black and white right and so it's like you know borderline it's like writing this fine middle line of like oh you are I just love you so much and then it's like what you did one thing I don't like I can't stand you anymore and so there's she has this I wonder if that's why Julia Binoche asked Kiristami like is she crazy how do I play this right I mean as you're talking about that I am thinking it's like yeah that is how she treats him most of the time you're awesome mm -hmm. or you're awful I hate you 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's very like BPD. Not to, and I, I very much dislike, for the record, like slapping any uh, psychological term, whether you know narcissism, but you know, yeah, but whatever, just, whatever you want to call it. But this is an interesting thing because that's one of that's a very peculiar symptom of like there's no gray area and that kind of behavior, which I've seen in person of people like, like I said, putting you on a pedestal and then just by being yourself. You cannot live up to that ideal, uh, and then the person becomes yeah. ruthlessly disappointed and, and a bit, you know, malicious. A, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's just a dangerous way to see the world. Yes. Um, and I do think a lot of people are guilty of that. Um, and I'll blame like the concept of like a re religion. I think, um, and you know, not in any particular religion. I mean, a lot of the the main religions give you that idea of things being black and white. Right. Um, and just idealizing it, in general is a very, you know. And th and that's something that you know you could take away from religion. Uh, just history, we're always idealizing people in history, and it's like no, they weren't like that. And there was a lot of other people like them that could have been better. You know, it's just there's always these just things that history leaves out because it's easier to tell a story when everybody's good or bad. You know, it's just yeah, it's yeah. easier to tell those stories. Um, anyway. So do you want to talk about some of the arguments? I feel like I have one in particular, but I'll let you start. If oh, no, go ahead. If you, have, if you have one in particular, go for it, because I, I don't... I didn't take any notes during this movie. I just fucking okay. got swept up in it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, did, I do re I remember the dialogue pretty well. Um, I did get to watch a good chunk of this on the morning on Friday, and then I... Which scene is it? Do you remember what language it's in? Because I, I can... thought about it. Um, the argument about... Um, the, you first have the argument where they talk about you weren't there, which is fine, but the progression of the argument... And this is in more than one scene, when it's the falling asleep argument. So mm, he yeah, falls yeah. asleep at the I was just tired. Wedding anniversary. Yeah. yeah, I was just tired. And then that argument in itself, like the way it progresses, it does seem like it could be improv, which I like that, where it's like it's still not super clear because basically he, he she starts with, um, you fell asleep last night. And then it turns into, it was our 15th wedding anniversary, which it's like she just came and threw that detail at him later. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, very, very much yes ands and just continues to be like, oh, yeah, it was our 15th wedding anniversary, but I was busy, you know, doing, you know, it doesn't mean I don't love you. And then right. he pulls in something that married couples do do, which is not at all good. You know, anyone who's mm -hmm. married do not do this. This is a terrible mistake that I would yes. say a lot of married couples fall into. I know exactly what you're going to... Yeah. You, you just pull something random from the past and you're just like, okay... Well, sort you, of you, comparable. Right. Well, But it's a separate that, topic, right? Yeah. Remember that time that you fell asleep when you were driving, you know, and he, and he sets it up. And it's like, you thought I was behind you and you told me that story. Well, I wasn't behind you. You were... You were you fell asleep with our daughter in the car or our son in the mm -hmm. car. It's like, does that mean that you didn't love our son in that moment because you fell asleep? You know, and he does have I mean, a great. It's a great point. He's illustrating not, the point of yeah, when you're tired, you're tired. Right, but but at the same time, that's not how you have a happy marriage. Is you no. don't you do, you don't try to win the argument. And I, I will say that from my personal experience, if mm -hmm. you are in a marriage or in any type of relationship and you are still 
trying to win the argument, <laughs> then, then you will find yourself alone. I'm sorry, because but that that is the that's the thing that we all want to do as adults is like we want to engage in these like arguments, and especially if we feel like you know our spouse is bringing up things or whatever. And I I do think that. You know, a lot of times it can feel like out of nowhere like whoever brings up the issue um, for the other person always just feels like why are we talking about it now you know and I and I right. definitely will say like it feels like you know women do that you know my wife does that to me doesn't do it very much I'm not gonna co complain about her but in general but we have kind of talked about that and been like you need to you know give me more time if like you want to talk about something like and it's kind of like oh well, mm. when's the right time to talk about these things you right know, and the, which can get into this whole because it will ruin any moment if, if you bring yeah. it up if you bring up right. some resentment from the past you're necessarily going to fuck up the current moment right yeah absolutely so it's like you have a you have a good wife or a good partner who doesn't want to do that and so but they have to talk about it so it just can come out at the worst mm -hmm. times you know mm -hmm. no, probably because you're like well this is already going bad anyway so let me right. just bring this, bring this and that's up. why like a real open communication would be i i need to bring this up at random and be like hey i'd like to talk about this if we could maybe in an hour or two if you have time so i can get it out of my system in lieu of waiting until a situation boils and then bringing it up seemingly out of nowhere like if you can give somebody this seems like a lot to ask but if you can give somebody a little mental prep that seems a little more of a tactful way to do this right well uh, for some for some people other for people, some people would, right other people would find it hard that you brought something up and you didn't say it say out of me. the blue like, right you, but people yeah, would, but the thing is people take so much time to process how they really feel about shit nobody really knows how they feel as soon as something happens well, right well that's well that's why i really try and i think my wife and i have gotten a lot better at this it's like when any when either one of us bring things up that are hurtful towards each other we try not to react you know i mm -hmm. feel like you you got to just give it time to just like sit and be like all right, I'm going to think about that. And then, Smart. and then it's always, and for me, what I always try to do is just like, what, well, whatever she's saying, she's not happy because of something. So I need to show that I care about that and do whatever mm -hmm. it is I can, you know? And, and that's like so basic, but I, that is all any partner wants of you is that you right. listen and respond and actually do something to show that you care. And uh, it's never about the argument. It's just that you're somebody that listens and then <laughs> just tries mm -hmm. to help, which is crazy because I think when I did have more problems in relationships, I would always just, for whatever reason, not realize that the only important thing is that like I'm happy with that person and that I'm happy when I'm making them happy. So, so for whatever reason, like you still, like when you're in the midst of arguments, especially when you're young, you can't just be like, all right, in reality, I just want to make this person happy, so what's the best way to do <laughs> How that? How do I should do I that? <laughs> yeah. Should I continue with this argument that they seem to care a lot about a lot? I don't care a lot about it, but I think they're wrong, so I'm still talking. <laughs> you know, what's... And that's, that, that's that where it can go really wrong, right? Yes. It's like, oh, I need to express how I think you're wrong, despite the fact that I just got some very new information about how you feel. You know, and like you brought up a minute ago, which is the, the mistake the guy makes in certified copy is he brings up 
a moment from their past, which is sort of analogous to make a point. In other words, she's saying, you made a mistake at this point, which I'm bringing to your attention now. And then he says, well, you made a mistake also that's sort of related. And so, but the idea, the point is that's a shitty tactic because it's a separate topic, right? He's not addressing what she's saying. He's doing sort of a reach around. He's doing a roundabout to make a point and to feel right, right? Yeah. Which is making a good point about when you're tired, you're tired, whether it's I forgot our anniversary or whether it's you fell asleep at the wheel and endangered our child, right? So he's making just a general point about tiredness, but he does it in a shitty sort of backhanded way that allows that because you made me feel at fault, I'm now making you feel at fault, right? And that's always a shitty tactic in a, in a conversation that you would prefer to go well. If you want to destroy the relationship, then go ahead and do that. But the fact is, if you want to continue knowing this person and actually want to feel heard and for them to feel listened to and all this stuff, then you don't bring up a separate topic. You address the one that they're bringing up, right? The, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And easier said than done. Remind me. Yeah, yeah. Do that. Easier said do than done. Yeah. Do that all the time. But I, w- I will just emphasize that, like, what she's saying isn't that unreasonable. Like, just why can't you be like, I am so sorry I fell asleep. I'm right. so sorry. I'm so like, why would? Well, that also, be it seems like he didn't remember the entire day. Well, right. Let's not forget that. They're kind of pretending to have... The, yeah, anyway. Right. But yeah, Which, but which also, like, and here's the other thing, if we follow that logic, then it's like, well, that means she didn't remind him the whole day. And she stewed and waited for him to remember it was their anniversary. Which is also a shitty, passive-aggressive, awful thing to do. You know, yeah. oh, he doesn't remember. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if he does. You know, no. You remind the person. Sorry. You're, you're making the situation worse if you don't. For yourself you know yeah you're not being clear about your expectations which i think is is hard for both sexes because you just want the person to read your mind and kind of be like oh i know right. you want this and yeah right. i definitely made a lot of mistakes where i should have just known to do certain things um for my for my wife and i will just say yeah i just didn't know she didn't tell me and i feel like yeah. that's a lot of guys excuses but the truth is, most of us would probably do whatever you want if you just told us. What yeah. You <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. like, like you said, you can't read somebody's mind, and it, but the, and somehow, for some reason, that's what we all want, or or for some reason, we foolishly expect that we, other people be able to read our minds, and then when they can't, we get mad or we resent it, right? Despite the fact like, that we didn't clearly state our expectations or intentions or whatever it is, and yet. We know that this person can't read our mind, and we can't read theirs. We think we can, and we think we have all this intuition and stuff, but the fact of the matter is, most people are thinking shit you have no fucking clue about. And their expectations are totally different, and so, to me, it's always like, if you're not clearly stating it, you're the one at fault. You have no right to be resentful, right? You're resentful. That's completely on you. Uh, and yet, like you said, if when people do express what they want most time, most people will be like yeah totally great i'd love to do that for you you know uh yeah i think we've kind of stepped into some of the more classical issues between um the sexes because this is definitely something where guys will say tell me tell me what you want and women will say you should have known i gave you all the suggestions mm-hmm. and so i'm definitely going to just say yeah i'm yeah this is 
definitely something that men have said a lot, and I'm, I'm not trying to be, because I definitely get the woman's perspective of like, I sh you know, it's better when I don't have to tell you, and I've, tr I've subtly tried to tell you all these different ways that you didn't understand, and yeah, I appreciate that. I'm just gonna say that I do appreciate that, and I'm working on trying to understand, understand, understand. Uh -huh. but at the same time, I don't know. The I think that's an example of whether, no matter which gender does it, I think that's an example of not open communication. Giving giving slight suggestions and hoping that the person does the right thing that you want is an absurd stance. I'm, yeah, I'm, and I'm, I've talked I'm not, to many women who agree with that and go, okay. you know, I, re, I, I actually talked to uh, somebody recently who said, you know, I ruined a couple really good relationships because I expected the guy to read my mind. It was her exact quote. Well, uh, and I was I like, mean, wow. That is encouraging, but at, at the same time, I th to defend women, I will say that women are used to having to wait to be approached by men, and I think that kind of ties into this whole thing mm. and why it's better that, you know, each person has access to be the aggressor they want to in a good relationship. But I, I do think the way, the reason why women socially feel like they can't say what they want is because of that kind of oppression mm -hmm. of like not having um being able to really choose and say what they want um and having to just kind of wait for the man to take the lead so women have been uh manipulating men for a long time <laughs> um, um well i think passive aggression really, is maybe really a nicer like, word than manipulation well um, i'm just saying like as far as evolution goes like we've evolved in these different skill sets, and um, yeah, I'm and, <laughs> yeah. and I'm and I'm not gonna say that either one is good or bad. You know, I'm not gonna say that. Right. But I, I but I do think that women are better at like getting men to do things than men are getting women to do things. Sure. So uh, so they well, have, I, they have had success in that area. That's all I'm saying. Um, I will say, you know, of course the current. Um, conversation or the current like climate of this sort of thing you know we're talking about a very quote-unquote cis heteronormative experience right and one of the things that I love about the current gender wars and there are a lot of things that I don't I think people have become very prickly and, and very divisive and very difficult with each other more so than ever before but one of the things that I really like about the current sort of gender wars and I don't mean men and women battle the sexes. I mean, like... You don't mean... I mean, the whole... in the street? No. I mean, the whole <laughs> trans and non-binary conversation. And okay. one of the things that I love about that is that these are not uh, particular to... That these are human traits. That these are fundamentally human traits, and it's... Although there are stereotypes which go with men and women that we're talking about, you know, whether you talk about women being passive-aggressive, men being maybe less intuitive and bad at guessing, right, yeah, and these actually, sorts of things. And so, and although those are true... feminine traits, but yeah, exactly. we, can't, we can't necessarily say that they're universal with the sex. And, that's and right, really, and so... And, but and they have even, nothing to do with sexuality. Yeah, but Yeah, ahead. well, that's the thing. And so one of the, one of the arguments that I love, because it is sort of a like this movie, it's one of those complexities that you kind of have to balance a lot of different things in order to understand. And it's like, when we're talking about just, regardless of sexuality but gender, we're talking about masculinity and femininity, and what are the dynamics that come with that interaction, right? And it's like, 
when I hear people talk about mas- the masculine and the feminine traits, especially the more negative ones, when we're talking about passive aggression or um, you know resentments and intuition and all this kind of stuff, it's a personality thing. You know, we talked about you know borderline personality came up uh, a few minutes ago, and that's a personality thing that can happen to anyone, regardless of their genitalia or how they express themselves with their clothes. You know, and so it's like the fascinating thing to me about the current conversation and this like weird like wonderfully weird climate that has happened in the last few years uh of like just adamantly and vehemently being like no i don't want to wear those clothes i want to wear what i want and like it's almost it's it's a little childish and yet it's also kind of beautiful um but what am i trying to say what i'm trying to say is when we're talking about masculine and feminine it, it breaks down so much these like little granulates where suddenly it's not about masculine and feminine at all anymore and that's why we use the term like non-binary because it's just fucking personality that's it period and it doesn't matter which thing you identify with or which thing you were born with it's just your personality it's like are you kind to people that's it it's like are you what is your behavior you know and and how does that fit into these generic stereotypes that have existed throughout all of history and so that's actually what I love about it, is it puts you in this, like I said, like the movie, it puts you in this like set of complexities where you're like, oh, but there's this and there's this balance. Oh, and you could put men and female, or you could put masculine and feminine. It's like, no, it's just how are you as a person? How do you treat other people? And which kinds of those behaviors fit into these, you know, ridiculous binaries of penis and vagina or masculine and feminine clothing or whatever it is. You know, that was a lot of words to say a very simple thing, which is, I think it's about personality and less about gender. But we love putting it in these categories, right? And that's wow. something this movie does really well, because I think they're both at fault in so many ways, right? In oh, the way yeah. they interact. I agree with that, but the reason why, I guess, people treat you in a certain way when you are a certain race or a certain gender and so that can shape your personality and i guess that's where i would just oh, yeah. qualify it. and that's why you can put those things together it's like being a man you're you have um, expectations and perceptions on you, put on you that you have done nothing to facilitate or create mm-hmm. but people still will assume things about you right. and you might respond to those positively or negatively depending on your upbringing and the kind of person you are, and the same thing happens with women. And so that's why you do see common skill sets and common traits follow um, certain types of people just because the way they looked determines how a lot of people are gonna treat them. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that's good, it, but uh, but that's why- that's a, that's, I, It is what it is, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, we can't really, because I definitely am a person that doesn't really feel like, you know, my inside matches my outside and like the way people respond to how I look versus who I am as a person, I always have felt is like a disconnect. Um, Well, that's exactly it, right? That's authenticity of how you feel versus the artifice of how you feel like you're being received. Being received, yeah. And so like, I definitely, you know, just being, you know, a white man that's in education, it's not, (laughs) it's not, it's, it's, I don't want to say like I'm like you know I'm doing the hardest job I'm not there's plenty of other people but there's a lot of expectations because of like my job and how I look and I was just joking with my wife the other day I was like 
if I was a uglier man in my 50s, people would listen to me a lot, a lot more. <laughs> and and it's just yeah. like, what other, what other job would you be like, man, those boring looking people in their 50s are just, you know, killing it in my, uh-huh. in my profession. And uh-huh. you know, I can't get people to take me seriously. Yeah. You know? And that's and funny. That, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that's being played with in the movie is like the appearances and appearances, not just being deceiving, but appearances never really telling the whole story. You know, there's a lot yeah. of philosophical ideas of like, oh no, the world is just appearances. You gotta, you gotta stick to the surface. That's the reality. And it's, that's always, that's one that's always bothered me. Because, you know, again, if we're talking about the whole gender play thing, how you express yourself, how you choose to show, I mean, you mentioned just now, like, due to the variations of what you were born as, society's going to treat you differently in so many ways, right? And people resent that so much that they've started to be like, well, guess what? Oh, you're going to treat me like a woman? Well, (laughs) I'm a man now. And I'm that's how I really feel and that's how I want to be treated and I'm going to go sometimes to great lengths to be treated the way that I feel I ought to be treated you know I mean it's it's this crazy inequality of of appearances and how we treat people but what sorry what was the last thing you that you had just said oh if you were an older man you would be taken more seriously this in so many words right yeah and I, I like, completely agree very plain looking you know i feel like those plain older people in education are just killing it you know Mm -hmm. well this is also one of the ironies of you know what we call like pretty privilege it's like oh people think that you you get more in life because you're attractive and yet to, to some extent people take you less seriously or at least they take your ideas less seriously because they're like oh well you got you had a one up you had a leg up on on getting that job that i didn't get yeah, because people of, can because assume. of your appearance, right? right. And no, so they I assume see. you you got a little a little bit of a lucky card when you were born, and therefore, I mean, this is another resentment thing. It's like therefore your ideas can't be as good as mine because I'm a six and you're an eight, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Which is absurd because ideas are are separate from how however somebody looks. You're right, and how people look doesn't necessarily have a lot to do, like, and I'm definitely just as guilty, but like, yeah, you see someone that looks a certain way, you make assumptions about them, and it's very hard for anybody to be like, say, see somebody that's like attractive and think that they're smart or like, because that just doesn't make sense to you. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, this, per- this I mean, person. I mean, though, to yeah. be fair, there have been some real ugly motherfuckers who are real smart. I mean, you ever seen Jean-Paul Sartre? Well, dude, that's, dude's a that's homunculus. Normal. That's normal. That, that's what you expect. You expect ugly yeah. people to be smart because it's like they, you know, you got because they have to know, compensate. Exactly. For... <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's the that's the whole um, thing. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not fair. But I will. This was something I was thinking about recently. It's like we're all we're all aware of how we're disenfranchised, but we never seem mm-hmm. to be aware of our own privilege. So it's like, that's just, that's always the constant thing. It's like, whoever you are, you're gonna be fixating on how other people have it better than you, but you're mm-hmm. never gonna go out of your way to be like, well, this is how I have it better than everyone else. It's like, it's the same way with like discrimination. I feel like you're I always- I think that's qu- becoming, qu- sorry, go ahead. No, oh, no, just that you're always quick to say when you're discriminated against, but you're not mm-hmm. as quick to say, or be aware of other people being discriminated. 
by mm. you or by you know n not you not saying anything and and acquiesce. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's becoming more of a conversation. I think that's becoming more of a feeling that people are maybe not naturally having, but are being provoked to have. I mean, certainly there are times when I'm, you know, if I'm in a particularly good mood, for instance, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm having a cigarette before bed, which is something I love. And I'll have that moment of like, oh man, people are starving. Jesus. And then I like remember like, oh, I may have my problems with, you know, the roommates, the landlord, but look at this house I live in. God, and so I do, that, that level of like awareness of one's own privilege is certainly part of the cultural conversation that's been happening for a few years. And it does sink in. People obviously are very resistant to it on a large scale, in America at least. Um, and I, but I do think it's, it's planting a seed of awareness. Because, and this is to me not a negative thought, it's totally neutral passing thought, like most thoughts, where I'll be sitting there have been a really good mood and be like, oh, what an interesting day, you know, despite the fact that not much happened, but like, oh, but that was fun that this happened today as I'm like winding down before bed. And then I'll go, you know, and then I'll hear police sirens and go, oh shit, somebody's a criminal right now, you know, and like, I'll be like, oh man, I got it better than him. And so I'll sort of, I don't know, I, it's implanted this sort of knee-jerk response of, of awareness of privilege, I think. And I think that's not just, I think that's true of quite a few people these days. I, I mean, how do you think, do you think that makes you like more aware or like more willing to um, help people that are less fortunate than you? Like how, how is that a productive thing you think? Well, like I said, for me, the passing thought is sort of a neutrality, but it's, it's the fact that it planted this seed of Did awareness. it like make you feel more grateful for what you had? You think? Yes, Gra okay. awareness, gratitude for sure. Um, how does that provoke being like proactive? Yeah, or do, I'm just curious. Do you think that's an interesting question? Yeah. Um, because yeah, I get because it's although something I'm, I think about a lot, but but yeah, it's yeah. in a different different way. But go, but we don't have to diverge. Yeah. In well, yeah, proactivity is a very different conversation, and I think. For me, I mean, we're starting to get into some real, like, ethical issues if we if we go down that route, which maybe is not. We could maybe tie it back to the movie, but I'm not sure. Um, but also, I think if I start to talk about, like, oh, how do I go out of my way to help others, then it sort of, like, devalues Devalues what you do. Because I, I, I don't want to talk well, about, oh, I've done this and I've done that, well, and it sounds like I'm bragging specific, about... But, but I'm just curious, like, is there, like, a relation, conscious relationship between awareness of privilege, actionable ways to yes. help people? Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that the, the awareness lends itself to a certain sudden gratitude that although, like I said, I may be having a smoke and, and enjoying, oh man, I had such a nice day, and then remember, oh man, so many people did not have a nice day for various reasons because they're in some other country or whatever, you know, or oh man, I have... You know, I have my problems, and yet I pay $1,000 for rent, and a lot of other people can't, right? Even though I have pretty cheap rent in this city. Um, and so, yeah, I think that gratitude lends itself to a... In other situations, being more proactive when I am around... Uh, 
See, again, this gets to a point where I, I don't want to talk about it because I almost feel like it devalues actions that to me are very like private and personal you know you've said you've said enough you've been like okay yeah yeah this gives me motivation i'm like okay that's all that's all that's it i was just just curious i was just curious perfect um because it is something like because i've come to kind of accept that like all pain is relative and we can't really truly understand anyone else's pain and like the example that that was used when i like when i read about this or talked about this i don't i don't i don't remember was just that like if you've lost one leg, right? But mm-hmm. the person across the street from you has lost two legs. Your mm-hmm. pain of losing one leg is just just as val- valuable as that person who's lost two legs. You know, it doesn't it's not one to one. Like suffering isn't isn't comparable in that way. Um, all suffering. You know, this seems like a very pointed example because as you know I am just a torso with arms and a head. Right, exactly. But continue. And so I want you to know that you your suffering isn't any more valid. No, no, no. Uh, but anyway, so that's just that's just something I've had to like kind of humble myself with. Of like, mm. I can never really understand anyone else's pain and suffering. All I can do is know mine and know how bad it is, and know other people experience that too, if not more. In, you know? in different degrees, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah. And for different reasons. Some people's suffering is totally different from yours, so much so that although the depth or heaviness of it may be similar, it's incomparable because it's such a different scenario, it's such exactly. a different situation and kind of the, suffering. The only thing I could say is that we both suffer, but that what that means to them is like, a, you know, a whole different uh comparison or chart you could say like mm-hmm. it like that's what i'm saying like so um whenever, and then there's the question of like do you lessen it for yourself and others and how right how, mu- how much how much of other how much of other people's suffering do you lessen oh, if only okay. by being kind it's or giving them a nice time yeah. Well, yeah. that's what. Well, that's where I would would argue. Like, I guess my uh, to, to circle back, and we could move on to the movie. But like, mm-hmm. my more motivation to help other people is that because I know how such small things that people have given me have been so meaningful. And Enormous. so that yeah, and so that is really what has encouraged me to be like, well, even if it's something like small in whatever ways I've helped people over the years. I still know that that could have tremendous value to them because of my own experience, you know, through that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but yeah, but just I, kind of, kind of like all yeah. there's, it's always right to help somebody, even if it's something small, like what we've talked about before. It's like, you, you shouldn't devalue helping, you know, if you can save one dog, you can't save two, that one dog's still worth saving, you know, it just, yes, yes. Like, yeah. Which is why Viri Diana has a bad outlook on things. Right. But anyway. Yeah, to harken back to that, right? Well, um, that's just like, well, then you you're just never going to be happy if you're like that. Like, I'm just like <laughs> right. you're just going to do bad things, and I just don't think that you're really happy if you're hurting other people. No. I don't. I don't. But I, I also think like if you're being judgmental of other people, you're fundamentally not happy. Like being yeah. judgmental is a shitty headspace to be in, and the more that you look at the other person as you know, whether it's like we said, oh, my suffering is somehow greater rather than just being my suffering is different from yours. And there are different qualities and different depths of that suffering for different reasons. And I can understand that about you. And this is why, to try to loop it back to the movie finally, when we talk about, you know, the masculine and the feminine, when we talk about battle of the sexes, when we talk about 
you know, the gender wars, or maybe I should say the gender conversation that's been happening for some years now. Uh, when you really start to boil it down further and further to where these sort of different, you know, binary things start to disappear and fade away, uh, the closer you look at it, it really just boils down to are you kind? What kind of person are you? You know, what's your personality? And does your personality help to lessen other people's suffering or at least give them an ear where they can talk about that suffering? You know? And so to me, the whole conversation ends up boiling down to what's your behavior? If, if, if we can all agree that whether the, the innumerable masculine and feminine traits that you might have and your particular little, you know, recipe of them that you decide to express, once you boil all that shit down and we can agree, oh yeah, none of that matters because they're just these two stereotypes that, we, that human history has given us, that all it really matters is, well, then what's your personality? How do you act to people? How do you react to people? Is it negative? You know, uh, are you kind? That's it. It's like, all, if all that shit's irrelevant and we can agree on that, then what's left? How, what, how do you behave? That's it. That's ethics, right? Yeah. Anyway. I mean, yeah, we could definitely, yeah, we, I feel like yeah, we can get back. <laughs> we can talk about it enough. But yeah, I, I agree with you that that's like almost the bare minimum. You could be kind to the people around you. Right? <laughs> yeah. If you can't yeah. do that, then what are you doing with your life? <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. And I, and I will say that there's complexity in that. And so that not everybody, and I, and I would agree with an idea which is not like my idea this is this actually comes from a religion that guilt can motivate a lot of kindness and i do think that that sure. is that is sure. that is tr that is true and guilt can mm -hmm. be a helpful thing in some ways and um it's hard because it's almost like we were talking about um last week i think when we were like yeah basically you're living and dying all the time and so you might have mm -hmm. versions of yourself that were less kind than other versions of yourself and that's why i would say most older people are kinder than most younger people because yes. they've kind of figured it out they're like wow i'm just not very happy when i'm not nice to people mm -hmm. and and uh and that's so, like i said judgmental people are miserable you know don't yeah. be that guy you know? right yeah because you uh, yeah no but okay. yeah well well, clear, clearly, we, we agree that at the bare minimum, it's it's how do you really behave towards others. Yeah, right? and absolutely. I mean, this is why there's this sort of tragic joke of, uh, you know, people fought for equal rights, and then they couldn't get that, so they settled for civil rights. Like, just be civil yeah. to one another. They couldn't get that, and so they're like, what about matters? Can we just say that these lives matter? And people won't even give you that. That's the bare minimum. Right? You went from equality, uh, can't get that. Oh, let's just be civil. Nope, can't get that. What about matters? Can we admit that I matter? Right? And it's like, that's a tragic joke, but it's a great point. Right? Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I like that. And um, yeah. I think it was Michael Che who made, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it a lot. Sure. But Michael Che made that joke, yeah. No, yeah. I, I like that, and I think that... Yeah, that kind of relates to our conversation because I think for some people they just can't get past that other people are like, uh, it's, it comes back to like the whole idea of like suffering and pain. I feel like everybody's kind of like, well, I can't help you because I'm dealing with my own pain and suffering. And so mm -hmm. it's like, you're saying your pain and suffering is worse than mine. Like this is the, this is the constant Republican thing of like, 
me, poor white person who grew up in the middle of nowhere, I had tons of disadvantages too. Are you mm -hmm. are you telling me, you know, I but have? But then you then you're comparing. And as soon right. as you start to compare, you become miserable. Well, also. that's that that's well, that's the whole thing where I'm like, you, we just need to admit that we don't really understand each other's suffering. We right. should try try to just help each other out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so if you're and in position position to help someone else out, you should. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here's and that here's the real mm -hmm. irony of that perspective of like, oh well, I had my troubles too, and it's like we all fucking did, and it's like the thing that the that that type of personality doesn't realize is like yes you suffered and so do we all and in many different ways that you can't understand and the the tragic irony is like if they just held space for one person and then they noticed how they feel after they do that if you just be that rock for somebody okay the statue in the movie where the woman is resting her head exhausted on the man's shoulder and he's just holding space for her. He's just giving her a moment to say, I get it. Take it, you know, may ruin my sweater, get my shoulder wet, cry all you want. I'll be here for the next few minutes while you do that. And you realize if you do that, this, this thing which unfortunately we've started to call emotional labor, which to me is, uh, has been used in a lot of negative ways that I don't like. But I think emotional labor is good. And once you do it, it's actually a very fulfilling thing. Like, yes, are you taking on some of the negative energy of someone else? So fucking what? We all do that every day anyway. When you're in traffic and somebody honks at you, you know, you're taking on the negative energy of somebody else. But at least, if I could, if I could open my car door and go talk to the person who just got mad and honked at me because I didn't use my blinker or whatever and let them cry on my shoulder, I totally would. <laughs> Because that I, guy's day sucks. I would If he's that angry about a fucking car that he sees stuff that happens every day, and you're like, road rage is so insane to me. Because it's I like, what, it, what are you bringing to, to. What is going on in your life that you're mad at a fucking machine that you already knew was going to be in front of you when you got in the car to go drive? Like, how are you that. You know, but again, we're talking about, like, self-absorption now. And, like, these people are so trapped in their own little body of suffering that they're like, oh, this person's in my way, honk. You know? That person needs to cry on somebody's fucking shoulder. Because that, that dude's day sucks. <laughs> you know? I feel bad for the guy that's honking and getting angry. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, what what you're talking about is just like made me um, think of this uh, meme that was on Reddit that uh, which was hysterical. Which I never I never watch these things or share them, but there's this one where I want to find it. But basically, you have uh, this guy, these guys fighting in the streets. Like two of mm -hmm. them, they're like fighting, and then the other guy's like, "All right, you tap, you tap," and the other guy's like, "All right, he taps." And so then they both get up and they shake hands <laughs> and, uh, and, and somebody like you hear somebody else yell. It's like, oh, good job. I'm glad you guys got that over with or something or something. <laughs> and then they just get into their cars and they drive away. It was just it was just great. Blew me, I love me that. Away. It blew me away. I was just like, that's awesome. I had a like, situation. He, nobody got hurt. And he stopped right. when it was appropriate. It was, you know, I loved it. and here's a great, you know, an analog to that, you know, and well, back to the, the car honking thing, right? I was leaving the dentist one time. So I already wasn't in the best mood. You know, my, my mouth is numb or whatever. And I'm, 
and I'm logging, and I think I might have been fiddling with my phone, and I stopped at a stop sign a little too long, right? And the person behind me laid on their fucking horn. Like, and you can tell when someone's angrily laying on the horn and when somebody's just like, toot toot, hey, wake up, you know? But this person just laid on their fucking horn in the most aggressive way. And I, being a little bit of a jester, saw it as an opportunity to fuck around. And so I, like, kind of went a little bit and then stopped again and then went a little bit and stopped again. I started honking back and I was like, and they were like, and like, and then we started making a song out of it. And like, this person pulls up to the side of me and I'm like, oh shit, did I really make them angry? And when they pull up to the side of me, and this has been going on for like two minutes now, where I'm like, and she's like, and like, we started doing a rhythm. And so I turned her angriness at my, her impatience at my like, oh yeah, I fucked up. I was looking at my phone. I didn't realize someone was behind me. You're mad because you're impatient and you want to, you know, to be fair, I waited way too long. You're right. But then we just had this like honkathon, and it completely, and then she pulled up beside me and like, is this, this like black gal that was probably about my age, you know, early thirties. And she just, she was just like, st- and we're both still honking at this point. And she's like, waves at me like, hey. And it was this great moment of us both being like, that was bullshit, right? Aren't we glad that we turned it, made it into a, f- a funny thing? Right? And so, yeah, I don't know. I just, little anecdote that I just remembered during this. But like, sometimes if you just show somebody that they're being ridiculous, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not angry anymore. So that happened one time. That that's a great story. Yeah, I mean, absurdity certainly can work. I mean, yeah, sometimes it is hard in those situations. It's I f- I feel like we shouldn't be so offended when people honk. Personally, I'm like, but I, if the person was laying on the horn and they weren't just like, tap tap tap, you know, <laughs> right. But like in other countries, you'll see people like honk constantly just to communicate mm-hmm. locations. And I wish yeah yeah, it's, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Are you aware of that? Right. That's what a honk is. I yeah. wish Americans just could just be like okay they're there all right no problem like but we we like if somebody honks at us in america we're just like what we take How it so personal you? it's like they're they're just telling you they're there they're there right and like <laughs> i said this person was right i yeah. had been at that stop sign for too long i yeah. did not re- i was not aware a car was behind me they were sure. right to honk but then i interpreted the extended duration of their honk as like oh that person's angry and then i playfully started right. fucking with them and lo- luckily in that situation they took it well yeah right i'm not saying this will work in every situation because it dice, won't but <laughs> i rolled the dice and it worked in my favor on this one but the, it could have been some very a person much larger than me much angrier than me that did not take that well you know that this could have gone wrong <laughs> i should say i'm not suggesting anyone do this i'm yeah. just saying this is a funny thing that happened no, no, I love that. Whenever, like, you're able to kind of get past whatever craziness you accidentally step into with somebody, it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, we're we're just both people, maybe not having the best day in the world. Let's just move on, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. No, uh, but that, but that, I will connect back to mm-hmm. the advice of like just put your hand on her because I do think that is great advice, and I think mm-hmm. that. Uh, which I don't know if I've said this, but I guess with our marriage show, this is what you know. My grandfather told me, uh, like whispered in my ear, which I love. Like on our video, you can see him like whispering in my ear, and it was kind hmm. of like his advice. And it was just sixty forty is what he is what he told me. 
you know, just the idea that you'll you'll always give more than you feel like you're getting back from the other person. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's really it's really good advice. And then hmm. also the idea that just physically being there with someone, like physically touching them, that that's mm. all most <laughs> That's people need more, that that's more than half the job you know it's just physically, <laughs> right. it's just yeah, physically yeah. being there which you know in the arguments that was what they were arguing about so much he wasn't there you know he was gone you know she was by mm -hmm. herself and she and that is absolutely real in relationships people arguing about in reality just i feel alone you are not making me feel like i'm with someone and can you really put that on another person? Which is something I feel like I've dealt with because I'm like, I'm the kind of person that always feels alone, so I never really expect the other person to make me not feel alone. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that's not something... Well, that, that also feels. means when they do, if that does happen, you're pleasantly surprised, I'm sure. Right? I mean, I just I just don't think that's good. Yeah, sure. Don't expect sure. it. Okay. Yeah. Sure. No, no, but like, it's just, it's not... You know, and I could, it's my own perspective, but like that, that concept of like feeling like you're part of a team or a group, mm. I've never, you know, even in relationships, Same. Ne I, yeah. I just can't, I can't feel belong to in that way, mm -hmm. you know, I, and, and yeah, maybe I'm damaged. I can relate to why, that. No, that's I get I don't, it. I don't know. Um, but I never expect that from someone else um, to make me feel like that even though i will say just the opposite happens people go out of their way to make me feel belonged and i just feel bad because i'm like it's okay it's not it's not gonna it's not something I, i've learned to not desire that yeah yeah, yeah i've learned yeah, yeah. to to just count on myself for for whatever that is um yeah. self-sufficiency is huge i mean that's not a topic we've gotten into too much before i don't think but self-sufficiency is enormous yeah well, um, being able to kind of make yourself happy and being happy with yourself, you know, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Like not, you know, not depending on someone else's like understanding or validation of who you are as a person. Because if mm -hmm. you do, you know, and you lose that person, then you're going to have to start over. And it's right. so. And to loop it back to the movie, that's an, that's something that we could talk about with Juliet Binoche's, um the moments where she's a little more hysterical about their dynamic and you know we, you talked about her placing blame of him being absent right and isn't that also her her expectation for codependence and her there's a certain lack of self-sufficiency there uh which is causing her suffering in the movie right um i have the although we talked about it 30 minutes ago i did pull up the conversation where they argue okay um, so we I can, can listen to it. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I can play that, and then I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna go to the bathroom while it's playing real quick. Okay, that's fine. So. She says, "Can't you just be here for a change? Look around you. Be here." Alors, je peux savoir quand est-ce que c'est le... 
You remember you told me about that time you were driving back from Rome to Florence? It was about five years ago. It was during the night. Our son was asleep in the back seat. Remember now? It was dark and you told me that you felt these hands come from behind and cover your eyes and a voice say, guess who? There was nobody else. The boy was asleep on the back seat. You'd fallen asleep. You'd fallen asleep at the wheel going at God knows what speed. So, I have a simple question for you. Why did you fall asleep? All right. No silly excuses. Just tell me. Did you fall asleep because you'd stopped loving our son? Had you stopped loving him? Had you stopped loving me? Simple question. Why did you fall asleep? I dozed off. I didn't sleep. Oh, you dozed off, of course. Fine. I dozed off last night. All right? Sure. So if I said I wasn't sleeping, I was dozing, that's all right. Uh, no, no, no. You were sleeping. You you, you were sleeping. Mm. Sleeping or dozing? What, what's the difference? The, the important thing is, I was in bed, you were in a car, and you were going a hundred kilometers an hour, and that's the important difference. Well, be careful. I do not snore, and of course I... La honte. You tu took ronfles. so long in the bathroom, of course I fell asleep. Quoi? Mais j'étais en train de me préparer, tu rigoles ou quoi J'étais en train de me faire belle pour toi Tu peux pas me reprocher ça quand même Ça met du temps avant de, de se préparer à tous les niveaux Le right, that's ça prend enough. au moins deux minutes Tu devrais We're savoir just... ça depuis 15 ans de mariage Quand je prends du temps Please pour me pour toi Back when we started, you're not listening to a word I'm saying. Vivian's leaving. I apologize for last night. I apologized for five years ago. I apologized for the restaurant, for the waiter, for the wine, 
scene you know what I'm just is a great that. couples arguing and a great example of <clears throat> what not to do in an argument which is bring up a separate issue in order to make your point never when someone's pointing out that you're at fault about something and you made them feel bad in so many ways never a good tactic to throw something else in their face even if it's related address the issue at hand don't talk about something else that they also did which was bad. Talk about the thing that you did which was bad, which is bring, being brought to your attention. <clears throat> so, they, yeah. they, both, they both make the classic mistakes of like a married couple in this conversation, which I think is very purposeful. And I think he draws it out in such a way, which is so good. Uh, I mean, yeah, we haven't even talked about like the writing in this movie. The writing and the lighting. The lighting in this movie is strange. I mean, you you know quite a bit about lighting and photography, too. But the lighting in this movie is so cool. It's, like, such a weird, like... I don't even know how he does this, like, this, like, grayish... Like, this sort of, like, honeyed veneer. I don't even know what to call it. It's it's It has the effect of um, the magic hour. Right? Th- but throughout the whole movie. And I don't know if he's shooting in the magic hour, but... When I watch this, it's like, wow. And I'm, I'm, my guess is he did, there's some color correction stuff happening afterwards. But, like, the color palette of this film is so cool. And so not like a lot of other stuff. Where there's, like, <clears throat> all these, like, gray tones, but there's also this, like, honey glow to everything. Like, it's almost like the movie has this, like, rose-colored glasses kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Okay, it's all right. When you said cool, I was like, well, I didn't think it was very blue, um, but you, yes, it is. It is warm. It is warm. Yeah, yeah it's warm. Sure. It's not. No, it, the, yeah, you're right. Thank you. The tone is not cool. I meant it's cool as in I like it. Yeah, I the know. The tone of it is very warm. There's at first, at first, when you're talking lighting. Oh yeah, and I yeah, we haven't even talked about like all of the like people getting married around them constantly. Oh and yeah, the, and they in the absolutely, I would say that the warm. Like just at magic hour, just right after, right before sunset. Um, it seems like the whole movie was shot in that time period, yes. or or very early in the morning. We know it's not very early in the morning, um, right. but the, but again, it, this is also a movie that takes place in one day in a single right. afternoon, and yet there seems to be fifteen years of this marriage compressed into it, right? And so the way he's moving through time is very peculiar. But yeah, the lighting and the writing of this film always stand out to me. The way uh, he sort of weaves through the dialogue. And like you mentioned, all the, the, all the married couples happening in the background, the older married couples appearing in the background uh, when they talk about certain things, couples with children appearing when they talk about certain things. You know, there's always this... It's like the, the landscape they're in is always reflective of... The mental state of what they're saying and how they're feeling about what they're talking about. 
it's almost exactly like Sunrise, which I, I hadn't really thought about until we started talking about it. I was like, yeah, that hmm. is is what happens in, in that Sunrise film where they're like falling in love together and then the different environments they go in reflect like mm-hmm. the state of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Huh. I feel like this film, I haven't watched the before series as much as you have, um, but I definitely thought about those those films uh, as I was watching mm. this too. I was like, yeah, this film makes me think of Before Midnight quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. which I would also agree with the the lighting in those films um, is, is yeah very, very striking. And, well, also this yeah. this movie is in Tuscany, and um, where's where does Before Midnight take place in Greece somewhere? Similar Mediterranean vibe, however. Yeah, I would agree. But anyway, this movie, Certified Copy. Takes place in Tuscany. Seems to be shot entirely at the magic hour of dawn or dusk. Uh, beautiful lighting throughout the whole film. Absolutely just impeccable lighting. I'm not even sure how they did. Some of the shots I'm just like, wow, look at that glow that this, you know, whatever character has. Uh, I don't know. It's just it, it, something about the film resonates. If we're, again, just talking about surfaces and the surface elements... Something about it, the the artificial aspect of what he's done with the lighting, just absolutely like brings something to the experience of the movie. It really just I, I can't even put it into words, honestly. I would describe it as as intimate, and the lighting the lighting brings a closeness to the relationships that mm. shouldn't be there based on our premise of the film that these people are strangers. Um, but yeah, the, those like very the cafe shots or the it's just very close. It's it mm-hmm. you get the impression that these people know each other really well, even though you know by all accounts they're strangers. But <laughs> right, do, or are do, they? But do married couples really know each other that well, or is it mm-hmm. the same type of comparison? Um, yeah. Some are better than others. I mean, we do get some advice from some very happy couples in um, this film. We've already kind of talked about the uh, older Italian couple, which, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, great advice. Um, Are we at the end, though? I feel like we've kind of talked about everything. Did you want to? I mean, there's there's plenty to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. We could keep getting into it. We could go. I mean, I think this might be, like Eyes Wide Shut, this might be one to revisit a couple years from now. With, okay. with fresh eyes, because I think it's it's one of those ones that it's so dense and it's so rich, and it and it occupies, Karastami especially occupies this space of of perplexity, of like hey, well we feel this way but we think this way and like oh you got to kind of kind of balance these things that, you know, and so I think Karastami for me is always someone who you can revisit, so yeah we we've talked plenty about it. How do you feel about this movie? What's your rating? Um, yeah, let's talk about ratings. And so this film has got a... I guess I've, I've decided to try to do rating section. So this has a 7.3 on IMDb. It has a 89% on Rotten Tomato. 70% on the user score on Rotten Tomato. Um, it, it has good reviews from NPR, which was titled Certified Copy, a Marvelous Mind-Blowing Movie, on March 10th, 2011. Um, Sorry, I asked for your personal rating, not everyone on the internet. 
Well, I'm, I'm just doing a ratings breakdown right now. Okay. Um, also, the New York Times decided, gave this a good review. On the Road, Packing Coralis um, is, is the title of that one. Um, and then Roger Ebert also gave this a three and a half stars, calling it It's the Real Thing or Whatever is the title of his review for this film, uh, which I, which I kind of liked. Uh, yeah. So you, you want to jump to personal reviews at this point? Yeah. Yeah, that was my question. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll skip. I'll, I'll skip. I'll skip me reading any reviews. Um, I am going to give this film a plus with a people walking. So I, I, like some some different some uh, maybe just pairs of shoes next to it. Like we see the imprint of shoes next to the plus sign. Uh, is is that? Will you have a frowny face? I don't, I don't know what you're trying to show me. Yes, that is the that is the film. It's just people walking. It's just people walking. Yes, yes. Because I felt like for me, this film definitely needs to be associated with a people walking film. It's a it's a film where people walk a lot, and and I I think that needs mm -hmm. to be included in my review. Yeah. You know, there are people watchers, there are people watcher films, and then there are people walking, and there are people walking films, and this is in the latter. Yeah, category. It's, it's this is sure. a people walking film for sure. It, it's yeah. just it's an it's an enjoyable film um, for somebody like me. I will say my upbringing probably my sex has a lot to do with it now. Well, you like walking. Too. <laughs> I, lo I love I love walking and I love walking around looking at art. So I mean I have to admit mm -hmm. like just knowing that they're just like wandering around doing whatever for the day. I was like I love that. And honestly, mm -hmm. if somebody was like. I've had, we haven't even get, gotten into this, but I've certainly had people tell me that I'm in a great relationship with someone that, I, that I'm not in a relationship with, that I'm sitting next to, and you, you <laughs> have to handle that. Like, that has happened mm -hmm. numerous times um, over the years. And so that's like its own phenomenon. Or I've had people like tell me, like when I'm just like with somebody that I am with in a relationship with, but it's like whatever, and I'll have somebody be like, oh, you know, they'll, they'll tell the person I'm with, keep him, he's great. Like, I'll just be opening uh -huh. the door and the person will just be like, this guy you're with, he's he's the it. And, yeah, you yeah, know? it's it so could funny be, when that happens. It could be like right after we just had a terrible argument or something and it's like, right. and then I'm just opening the door and I get all of this un <laughs> probably uncalled for adulation <laughs> by, by some stranger telling, telling I love this, that. this person. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, so that has happened. So if, if this happened in real life, I would totally be down to just have these weird arguments with this woman, probably because I was <laughs> like, all right, I'm leaving at nine anyway, so. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, how else yeah. am I gonna fill my day? All right, sure. I think, and I think that's the fun of the movie. You know, the, yeah. we talked about how there's like, a, there's like a lightness and a heaviness to the movie. And that's that's one of the wonderful things that Kiarostami is able to do is he he can balance like these very heavy topics which weigh us down in our day to day life, and yet he brings lightness to it, and goes yeah I guess I could do that today, I guess I could have this talk with this crazy woman, you know or whatever it is uh, or like you said people mistaking you for being someone else's partner that phenomenon is such a funny moment to play with, you know. And that's what that's what he does. I should mention, in case you don't know, Kiarostami, before he was a filmmaker, was a children's educator. Interesting. He was big into children's education. He then started making films based on children's education, and then started, you know, his career, quote unquote, is films for adults. 
so that that's his background. It kind of uh, makes sense that he's like right. He's approaching it as like, oh, I want this movie to be about this concept, and then I want to give examples. So it, it is very Sesame mm -hmm. Street esque. This, this yeah, film, yeah, this film. It's like the word of the day or the letter is, and then you know we get all the exactly. examples throughout the yeah. And, and that's kind of what I love about Kurosami is he's like he's like the gentle kindergarten teacher. Where you're like, this guy knows something, but he also knows that we're just going to run around chaotically and be babies. And so there's, there's something loving about that, and that, that comes through in a lot of his stuff. But yeah, my personal rating. Yeah, go ahead. So you give this film a plus with two people walking under that plus sign. Right. Animated. Animated. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good. That makes sense. I, I register that. Um, I'm gonna. You mentioned Sunrise, and Sunrise was, <clears throat> I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. The first time that I used this rating, but I'm gonna have to throw it out again. To me, this film is an infinity. Oh, nice. This film. I would like to give it like a star asterisk. But the asterisk would just lead to the infinity. So I'm just going to go full out. This film is an infinity symbol. It, it, it absolutely just brings home all those things that we all get. It, there's a universality to it that, is, that I love, that is relatable. So it's an infinity symbol for me. Okay, that makes sense. I'm going to go to the scientific rating now, and um, wouldn't you know it, the scientific rating is also a star, so this is in Whoa. Fact, a movie victory. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I, wait, I, it looks like I have the wrong report. This is actually just a copy of my report. And so, it's a, <laughs> it's a well, the copy of a star is still a star. <laughs> it's, still, it's still a star. Yeah. Uh, the clone of the star is still a star. I'm, I'm going to actually have to get the hard copy, the original version of this report. Um, mm -hmm. Looks like this version I have was thrown in the photocopy machine after I printed it out. So, I'm going to have to just, we'll just start over. Well, that's great. I, I'm very, it's, it's pretty rare, actually, that the science pulls out a star. Uh, I, I think the different languages had something to do with it. When I wondered that also. When I was looking at the yeah. numbers. Yeah. 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 Um, and being able to interweave them. You know, it's sort of like anti-Babel. Like, you know, you know that book Anti-Oedipus? Right. I'd like to read a book called Anti-Babel. <laughs> okay. That is just like, isn't it crazy we all speak different languages? Let's just intertwine them all. Um, <laughs> uh what are we doing next week? What are we doing next week? <laughs> Although I do want to do this movie again at some point, but like, you know, way in the future. Way in the future, I understand. Well, I've, I've had a hard time kind of deciding because, yeah, the movie, I guess a few of the movies that I want to do are total downers. And so I'm mm. like, we, we could shift into them, but I'm like, do I really want to do that this week when... Do you want, gonna, do you want to give me options? I'm... I guess not, I mean I guess not. I mean that. Well, let's take into have, account. Here's yeah. here's another thing to consider. Yeah. Next weekend, your pick. Right. And then I go to New York for two weeks. We already know we're gonna do scenes for a marriage while I'm in New York. That's, That's true. like three Saturdays in a row. I think. I'd have to look at the calendar, but 
it's a good couple weeks that we're not going to record because we're going to have to watch the five hours of Scenes from a Marriage. So okay. in between Certified Copy and Scenes from a Marriage, what do you want to do? Okay, let's let's do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I was going back and forth on oh, that. Oh, I've never like, seen it. I know, you haven't seen it, and... Um, I'm just it's it's out there so I think you're going to like it. Wow. Uh, um, okay. It, cool. I've never never seen it. It's a very very much a play. I will say that. Mm-hmm. And it's very much people talking and there's some walking in it and um it's Oh, talking and walking. And it's um it's all about marriage and couples and uh it, and I think yeah, I don't I don't want to say anything more about it. Okay. Just turn it on with no expectations and you know, tell me what tell me what Yeah, you think. yeah. No, I uh, I honestly know nothing about it other than that it exists. I've seen it at the library a thousand times. I know what the cover art looks like, and I know the title. That's all I know about it. I don't know anything about the story. I I don't know what happens. I am 0% informed as to what that movie is. So that'll be interesting. Do you know who Edward Albee is, the playwright? Uh, I know the name. I don't. I'm not familiar with his style or anything. No. Okay. Well, this this is one of his plays. I will tell you that. Okay. Um, he he's. I think he's great. A great playwright. I've I've taught some of his, but any, anyway, he's he's very. What other plays did he do? He he did this one called the Zoo Story that I see like used a lot, which is a short. Um, but he's he's won the Pulitzer. I mean, he's done a lot. Mainly, he's known for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He also wrote something called The Sandbox. Um, mm. But yeah, he he didn't. He died actually relatively recently. But um, yeah, I would encourage you. I might. I don't know. Maybe I'll send you an inter like just him being interviewed just to see the kind of person he is because I, f- I feel I feel like you would be like, oh, this this is an interesting guy. Um, mm. But. But he's just got such an yeah interesting outlook on life and his approach to things and like really is um, he wants you to have a response to what he does and I think that's kind of an, an interesting like he really wants you to res- like that's to him seems to be the goal in a lot of his stuff is that you mm. actually have a reaction like an uncontrollable reaction to what to what's happening which is i just feel like that's such an interesting thing like you will like i feel like all of his stuff that that i've seen or at least who's afraid and uh zoo story like it is upsetting or like Mm. you there's, there's things that happen that make you uncomfortable where i feel like is not something everybody can really do very well Mm -hmm. um, because most of it comes off more of like just shock and less earned and i think right yeah um well i think that's sort of a little bit karistami plays with too it's like i want a reaction but karistami's ambiguity loving is sort of like but i want you to not know what kind of reaction you're supposed to have right um although i have heard of this uh the goat who is sylvia Mm. Um, I've I've heard about this play. I don't remember where, but for some reason I know about this. I have not. I don't know anything about Edward Albee, to be honest. But the goat or who is Sylvia? For some reason I'm. I have a memory of this. I feel very aware of it. I'm not sure why. Um, it's the only it's the only thing of his that I'm looking at that. That rings a bell. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. It's um. It's definitely of that side where I feel like I definitely do 
like I think playwrights have kind of done what we're talking about for you know longer than they than they've been in movies. Like Chekhov has a lot of plays on this topic too. So I do I do like you know the the history of the of the plays tackling this mm. this topic. I think is a it's different, but at the same time, um, it's it's a it's unique in the sense that it's coming in from it from a different angle because it's like. You know, mm -hmm. if you look through player, it's like there's been so many things about couples and al already where the type of film that we just watched where it's just conversation dominated, like that's just such the mainstream in plays where it's like that's what a play is. You have like mm -hmm. these four people having monologues the entire thing and then all these couples arguing and having discussions. And so right. it's it's fascinating that that's like in mon mainstream movies that people are writing for that four movies now where... Um, anyway, but anyway, um, I yeah. know what you mean. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I love doing a, a movie that I have never seen. Yeah, and it's also it's Mike Nichols, so you I know you've seen some. Of oh, I do. Movie, I didn't know that. Of, some of his other movies. Yeah. So I didn't know that Mike Nichols did that. I didn't, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Who's also a playwright, you know, in his own right, and a stage director too, I believe. Wow, it's his first movie. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Yes, I, I do still, I'm going to encourage you to watch it first, but then there is a rich history of stuff you can learn about this film and the making of it, especially since you have two stars that were married at the time and then yeah, have yeah. gotten divorced um, and mar remarried several times huh. over the years. Yeah, Richard, yeah, that's Richard. interesting. Oh, I'm stoked that it's a Mike Nichols movie, actually. That's great. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton star in this, and, you know, famously they've been, like, married and remarried, like, three different times or something. Huh. LOL, totally unrelated, but have you ever seen the movie Wolf with Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer? Um, Jack Nicholson. It's a, it's a Mike Nichols movie, and... Well, we don't have to talk about it. Oh, no. I haven't. I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. okay. Then, never, then I won't say anything. Okay. Um, it's bizarre. But uh, anyway, okay, yeah, Certified Copy. Yeah, Certified In Copy is a movie victory according to Infinity science. Star. And, yeah, and, yeah, so I definitely recommend. And um, I feel like probably the best film I've seen in the sense that it was able to not be super heavy or serious about a topic but still give me a lot of interesting things to think about like that almost mm -hmm. never happens because there's just that balance of it just kind of being academic versus actually right. being compelling and this you know this is able to do both in a way that well lucky for you that's sort of Kiristami's thing so I'm excited for you to watch some of his other stuff as the as the okay. years go on because oh, he's yeah. he's real good at that okay yeah. awesome yeah alright well cool. It, that's it, movie victory. Are you movie playing victory. more um, ACDC Hellsbell? <laughs> going back to this. But it's not, it's not even winter right now. Alright. It's okay. It's, it's just about bills. Alright, I guess I'm stuck.